Welcome to the Hey Friend Podcast with Osley ASMR. Before this episode begins, I wanted to let you know that this podcast is currently supported by automated ads, which means the ads you will hear in just a moment are automatically generated for my audience. If you would prefer to enjoy a completely ad-free listening experience, there is an option to subscribe to the podcast for $4.99 per month, currently only for Spotify users. Lastly, I would advise you turn down your audio just a bit, because the automated ads are about to play. I hope you enjoy this episode. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
Fitzwilliam reminded Elizabeth of having promised to play to him, and she sat down directly to the instrument. He drew a chair near her. Lady Catherine listened to half a song, and then talked as before to her other nephew, till the latter walked away from her and moving with his usual deliberation towards the pianoforte, stationed himself so as to command a full view of the fair performer's countenance. Elizabeth saw what he was doing, and, at the first convenient pause, turned to him with an arch smile and said, You mean to frighten me, Mr. Darcy, by coming in all this state to hear me, but I will not be alarmed, though your sister does play so well. There is a stubbornness about me that never can bear to be frightened at the will of others. My courage always rises with every attempt to intimidate me. I shall not say that you are mistaken, he replied, because you could not really believe me to entertain any design of alarming you, and I have had the pleasure of your acquaintance long enough to know that you find great enjoyment in occasionally professing opinions which in fact are not your own. Elizabeth laughed heartily at this picture of herself, and said to Colonel Fitzwilliam, Your cousin will give you a very pretty notion of me, and teach you not to believe a word I say. I am particularly unlucky in meeting with a person so well able to expose my real character in a part of the world where I had hoped to pass myself off with some degree of credit. Indeed, Mr. Darcy, it is very ungenerous in you to mention all that you knew to my disadvantage in Hertfordshire, and give me leave to say, very impolitic too, for it is provoking me to retaliate, and such things may come out as will shock your relations to hear. I am not afraid of you, he said smilingly. Pray let me hear what you have to accuse him of, cried Colonel Fitzwilliam. I should like to know how he behaves among strangers. You shall hear that, but prepare yourself for something very dreadful. The first time of my ever seeing him in Hertfordshire, you must know it was at a ball. And at this ball, what do you think he did? He danced only four dances. I'm sorry to pain you, but so it was. He danced only four dances, though gentlemen. 
gentleman was scarce and, to my certain knowledge, more than one young lady was sitting down in want of a partner. Mr. Darcy, you cannot deny the fact. I had not at the time the honour of knowing any lady in a simile beyond my own party. True, and nobody can be introduced in a ballroom. Well, Colonel Fitzwilliam, what do I play next? My fingers wait your orders. <laughs> Perhaps, said Darcy, I should have judged better. I had sought an introduction, but I am ill-qualified to recommend myself to strangers. Shall we ask your cousin the reason of this? said Elizabeth, still addressing Colonel Fitzwilliam. Shall we ask him why a man of sense and education, and who has lived in the world, is ill-qualified to recommend himself to strangers? I certainly have not the talent which some people possess said Darcy, of conversing easily with those I've never seen before. I cannot catch their tone of conversation or appear interested in their concerns as I often see done. My fingers, said Elizabeth, do not move over this instrument in the masterly manner which I see so many women do. They have not the same force or rapidity and do not produce the same expression. But then I've always supposed it to be my own fault, because I will not take the trouble of practising. It is not that I do not believe my fingers as capable as any other woman's of superior execution. Darcy smiled and said, You are perfectly right. You have employed your time much better. No one admitted to the privilege of hearing you can think of anything wanting. We neither of us performed as strangers. Here they were interrupted. Lady Catherine, who called out to know what they were talking of. Elizabeth immediately began playing again. Lady Catherine approached and, after listening for a few minutes, said to Darcy, Miss Bennet would not play at all amiss if she practiced more and could have the advantage of a London master. She has a very good notion of fingering, though Lady Catherine continued her remarks on Elizabeth's performance, mixing them with many instructions on execution and taste. Elizabeth received them with all the forbearance of civility, and at the request of the gentleman, remained at the instrument till her ladyship's carriage was ready to take them all home. I dare say you are, and I am sure I do not at all wonder at it, but if I did, 
Mrs. Paris is certainly nothing to me at present, but the time may come. How soon it will come must depend upon herself. Mr. Robert Ferris. Can you be? And she did not feel much delighted with the idea of such a sister-in-law. No, replied Lucy, not Mr. Robert Ferris. I never saw him in my life. But to his elder brother. What felt Eleanor at that moment? She turned towards Lucy in silent amazement, unable to divine the reason or object of such a declaration, and though her complexion varied, she stood firm in incredulity and felt in no danger of a hysterical fit or a swoon. You may well be surprised, continued Lucy, for to be sure, you could have no idea of it before, but I dare say he never dropped the smallest hint of it to you or any of knows of it, but Anne, and I never should have mentioned it to you if I had not felt the greatest dependence in the world upon your secrecy. And I do not think Mr. Ferris can be displeased when he knows I have trusted you, because I know he has the highest opinion in the world of all your family, and looks upon yourself and the other Miss Dashwoods quite as his own sisters. She paused. Eleanor, for a few moments, remained silent. Her astonishment at what she had heard was at first too great for words, but at length, forcing herself to speak and to speak cautiously, she said with a calmness of manner which tolerably well concealed her surprise and solicitude. May I ask if your engagement is of long standing? Four years? Yes. Eleanor, though greatly shocked, still felt unable to believe it. I did not know that you were even acquainted till the other day. Our acquaintance, however, is of many years' date. He was under my uncle's care, you know, a considerable while. Mr. Pratt, did you never hear him talk of Mr. Pratt? Four years. I was very unwilling to enter into it, so you did not know him so well as me, Miss Dashwood. You must have seen enough of him to be sensible. He is very capable of making a woman sincerely attached to him. Certainly, answered Eleanor without knowing what she said, but after a moment. 
moment's reflection, she added with revived security of Edward's honor and love and her companion's falsehood. Engaged to Mr. Edward Ferris. I confess myself so totally surprised at what you tell me that really, I beg your pardon, but surely there must be some mistake of personal name. We cannot mean the same Mr. Ferris. We can mean no other, cried Lucy, smiling. Mr. Edward Ferris, the eldest son of Mrs. Ferris of Park Street and brother of your sister-in-law, Mrs. John Dashwood, is the person I mean. You must allow that I am not likely to be deceived as to the name of the man on whom all my happiness depends. It is strange, replied Eleanor in a most painful perplexity, that I should never have heard him even mention your name. No, considering our situation, it was not strange. Our first care has been to keep the matter secret. You knew nothing of me or my family, and therefore could be no occasion for ever mentioning my name to you. And as he was always particularly afraid of his sister suspecting anything, that was reason enough for his not mentioning it. She was silent. Eleanor's security sunk, but her self-command did not sink with it. Four years you have been engaged, said she with a firm voice. Yes, and heaven knows how much longer we may have to wait. Oh, poor Edward. It puts him quite out of heart. Then, taking a small miniature from her pocket, she added, To prevent the possibility of mistake, be so good as to look at this face. It does not do him justice, to be sure, but yet I think you cannot be deceived as to the person it was true for. I've had it above these three years. She put it into her hands as she spoke, and when Eleanor saw the painting, whatever other doubts, her fear of a too hasty decision, or her wish of detecting falsehood might suffer to linger in her mind, she could have none of its being Edward's face. She returned it almost instantly, acknowledging the likeness. I cannot think how much I go through in my mind from it altogether. I only wonder that I am alive after what I have suffered for Edward's sake these last four years. Everything in such suspense and uncertainty. And seeing him so seldom, we can hardly meet above twice a year. she took out a handkerchief, but Eleanor did not feel very compassionate. Fortunately for her, they had now reached the cottage, and the conversation could be continued no further. After sitting with him a few minutes, the Miss Steeles returned to the park, and Eleanor was then at liberty to think and be wretched.
As spring came on, a new set of amusements became the fashion, and the lengthening days gave long afternoons for work and play of all sorts. Gardening, walks, rows on the river, and flower hunts employed the fine days, and for rainy ones, they had house diversions, some old, some new, all more or less original. One of these was the PC4. As secret societies for the fashion, it was thought proper to have one. And as all the girls admired Dickens, they called themselves the Pickwick Club. With a few interruptions, they had kept this up for a year. And they met every Saturday evening in the big garret, on which occasion the ceremonies were as follows. Three chairs were arranged in a row before a table, on which was a lamp, also four white badges with a big PC in different colors on each, and the weekly newspaper called the Pickwick Portfolio. At seven o'clock, the four members ascended to the club room tied their badges around their heads, and took their seats with great solemnity. Meg, as the eldest, was Samuel Pickwick. Joe, being of a literary turn, Augustus Snodgrass. Beth, because she was brown and rosy. Tracy, Tupman. And Amy, who was always trying to do what she couldn't, was Nathaniel Winkle. Pickwick, the president, read the paper which was filled with original tales, poetry, local news, funny advertisements, and hints, in which they good-naturedly reminded each other of their faults and shortcomings. On one occasion, Mr. Pickwick put on a pair of spectacles without any glasses, wrapped up on the table, hemmed, and having stared hard at Mr. Snodgrass, who was tilting back in his chair, Till he arranged himself properly, began to read. Again, we meet to celebrate with badge and solemn rite our 52nd anniversary in Pickwick Hall tonight. We all are here in perfect health, none gone from our small band. As spectacles on nose, he reads our well filled weekly sheet. Although he suffers from a cold, we joy to hear him speak, for words of wisdom from him fall, and next of old top four comes so rosy, plump and sweet, old six foot snow jokes with laughter at the puns, and his seat. Prime Little Winkle too is here with every hair in place, a model of propriety, though he hates to wash his face. The year is gone. We still unite to joke and laugh and our neighbor prosper and tread the path of brother and journey that doth and use their blessings pour on the useful gay PC. As the president finished reading the paper, which I beg to leave to assure my readers is a bona fide copy of one written by bona fide girls once upon a time, a round of applause followed, and then Mr. Snodgrass rose to make a proposition. Mr. President and gentlemen, he began, assuming a parliamentary attitude and tone, 
who wish to propose the admission of a new member, one who highly deserves the honor, would be deeply grateful for it and would add immensely to the spirit of the club, the literary value of the paper, and be no end jolly and nice. I propose Mr. Theodore Lawrence as an honorary member of the PC. Come now, do have him. Joe's sudden change of tone made the girls laugh, but all looked rather anxious and no one said a word as Snodgrass took his seat. We'll put it to the vote, said the president. All in favor of this motion, please, to manifest it by saying aye. A loud response from Snodgrass followed, to everybody's surprise by a timid one from Beth. Contrary-minded say no. Meg and Amy were contrary-minded. And Mr. Winkle rose to say with great elegance, We don't wish any boys. They only joke and bounce about. This is a ladies' club, and we wish to be private and proper. I'm afraid he'll laugh at our paper and make fun of us afterward, observed Pickwick, pulling the little pearl on her forehead as she always did when doubtful. Up rose Snodgrass, very much in earnest. Sir, I give you my word as a gentleman. Laurie won't do anything of the sort. He likes to write, and he'll give tone to our contributions and keep us from being sentimental. Don't you see? We can do so little for him, and he does so much for us. I think the least we can do is to offer him a place here and make him welcome if he comes. This artful allusion to benefits conferred brought Tupman to his feet, looking as if he had quite made up his mind. Yes, we ought to do it, even if we're afraid. I say he may come, and his grandpa too, if he likes. This spirited burst from Beth electrified the club, and Joe left her seat to shake hands approvingly. Now then, vote again. Everybody remember, it's our Laurie, and say aye, cried Snowgrass excitedly. To the dismay of the rest of the club, Joe threw open the door of the closet and displayed Laurie sitting on a rag bag, flushed and twinkling with suppressed laughter. You rogue, you traitor. Joe, how could you? cried the three girls as Snodgrass led her friend triumphantly forward and producing both a chair and a badge installed him in a jiffy. I hope you enjoyed me reading to you some excerpts from these classics and I'm sending you so much love. I wish that we could just meet on an alternate plane in an era of Regency vibes and party the night away at a ball drinking lemonade and gossiping minor fans. That's all I want. <laughs> I love you and I'll be talking to you very soon. Bye bye. Might add force to the other inducements which let me on, I shall not attempt to deny. But your family owe me nothing. Much as I respect them, I believe I only thought of you. Stop. Stop it. Beth had old-fashioned fragrant flowers in her garden. Sweet peas and mignonette, larkspur, pinks, pansies, and southernwood. 
with cheekweed for the bird and catnip for the pussies.